0: So what would cause you to weep bitterly before the Lord? I bet you weren't asked that question this week, right? What would cause you to weep bitterly before the Lord? Would it be the loss of a, of a spouse? Maybe the loss of a child? A parent? Maybe the loss of promotion? Scholarship? Loss of income? What would cause you to get on your knees and just be so overcome before the Lord? The staff have been reading a chapter in a week in the book Immeasurable by Sky Jathani. We, we try to grow together as a staff. And this past Wednesday, we read on the subject of putting the mission before our relationship with Christ. In other words, there's a great danger in putting the mission before the one who sent you on the mission. Gordon MacDonald calls this missionalism. And whenever you have an ism added to a word, it's dangerous. Isms are dangerous to our lives. Think about that. Sexism, classism, racism, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Calvinism, Lutheranism, Methodism, Pelagianism. Have I been picking on everybody so far? Even patriotism is dangerous. Why? Because we start to let secondary things become number one in our lives when it should be Jesus alone. The author Sky Jathani, we frequently asked church leaders this penetrating question. What causes you to stay away from the temptations of sin? That's not just for church leaders. How about you? How would you answer that question? What's keeping you from sinning today? Uh, You're not all in jail. You didn't create some heinous crime that I'm aware of this week. So what's causing you to stay away from the temptations of sin? Well, the answer most pastors have been conditioned to say is, listen to this, I wouldn't want to do anything to jeopardize my ministry. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, I've, I've thought that. I'll just confess. What's the problem with that statement? The word my, right? It's all about me. It's all about me. The author goes on to say, sadly, I rarely hear pastors say, I wouldn't want anything to disrupt my communion with God. Ouch. Today, my big prayer and hope is that there will be a reordering of our lives so that nothing would disrupt our communion with God, that we would have a purity from God because we want to make God the priority. One pastor has said, I'm called to intimacy with God more than ministry for God. We started out in the book of Ezra thinking that this was about rebuilding the temple when in fact And in reality, it's about rebuilding our relationship with God. And guess what? God is the initiator. Please turn in your Bibles to the last chapter of Ezra. Ezra chapter 10, verses 1 through 17, to discover how God will rebuild our relationship with him by this simple truth, confessing our sins. You might say, well, that's just for Catholics, right? No, no. This is true for us as well. There's a great hope found in the New Testament. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just what? To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Last week, Pastor Dan taught us in Ezra 9, in a really impactful way, how Ezra and his, his band of priests discovered the sin of intermarriage of the returned Jewish exiles with foreign wives. And he is quick to point out that this wasn't about racism, but being, about being led astray. You see, what got the Israelites in trouble in the first place and why they spent 70 years in exile is because they cheated on God. They put other gods before the one true living God. And the agents of infidelity were other nations who pimped their idols to the Israelites. When the Jews married foreign women, it drew their heart away from God. I dare say, is there anyone here who has a relationship that they're in that maybe they're being drawn away from God? Days a day to reorder that. We know from from almost the beginning of the... the, um, the Jewish temple, that uh, this was a problem for the Jews. See, if we look at the life of King Solomon, he married a thousand women. I can't believe that. Like a thousand women. Look what it says in First Kings 11, 1-4. Like how do you keep up with a thousand women, right? First Kings 11, 1-4. Now King Solomon, this is so sad, loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old... Now listen to me. Some of us think this is just a young person's problem, right? Many of us don't finish strong. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father. Some of you say, well, John, uh, this is great. I'm off scot-free. I have not married a thousand wives. In fact, I don't know of anybody here who has. So this has nothing to do with us, right? And I was praying. I was like, Lord, how does this relate to us? And he brought this to mind. If we've looked at pornography, many of the women and people in pornography, the victims of pornography, from other countries aren't they they're caught in human trafficking pornography is a justice issue it exploits and robs all involved lust is unjust so maybe you're addicted to pornography and you've seen more naked people and lusted even more than solomon we can be hard on the million people lining the streets of toronto watching with pride the parade of revelry, but what about our own sin today? Friends, I love you so much and I'm concerned for you and myself that we have let relationships with others crowd out our number one relationship, which is that is with God. Today is a day that God's calling us back to himself to purify us from our sin and to make him the priority in our lives. It isn't about marrying foreign foreigners. Some of us have an eye for exotic beauties. I married an American, right? (laughs) Pastor Jason, where are you? Pastor Jason married a Malaysian. (laughs) Pastor, Pastor Aaron married a Filipino. Yay, Filipinos, right? And these, all these ladies, they love the Lord. In fact, they don't draw our hearts away from God. They actually towards God. Maybe you found that to be true. Today is about purity. It's about purity and priority. As we read Ezra 10, 1 through 17, I want you to remember that there was a Jewish remnant that remained, and against such large numbers of polytheists, which are all the nations around the Jews, who worshipped all sorts of gods, the Jews had to defend themselves and their religious liberty. And thus, drastic measures are understandable. So it begs the question, will you be a part of that righteous remnant and take drastic measures in your life to stick with God? Will you weep over your sin? Will you weep over the sin of others? When was the last time you wept over your sin? Let's prayerfully read Ezra chapter 10, verses 1 through 17, to see if we've broken faith with God, that we can become right again with Him. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. If you haven't found Ezra in your hard copy of God's word, you can look it up on your smartphone, Google it, Ezra chapter 10, verses 1 through 17. When Ezra prayed, Made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men and women and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. Notice that. And Shekinah, the son of Jiliel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there's hope for Israel in spite of this. Listen, listen to me, beloved. This passage is hard for us to hear. It's going to be hard to apply, but there's hope. There's always gospel hope. Look at verse 3. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. I love this. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all the Israel take oath that they would do as had been said. And so they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehonahan, the son of Elishab, where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited, and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. is the ninth month of the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open squares before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith in married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Thou then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. And then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many. And it's a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all our cities who have taken foreign wives come and at appointed times with the, them, the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this city is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Josiah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this. And Meshulam and Shabbathe, the Levites, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to their fathers' houses, each of them designated by name. And on the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. Before you sit down, let's try to memorize... Ezra 8, verse 22, this is our our verse for the month of June that we're trying to memorize in our small groups and families. So let's all say it together. Ezra 8, 22b, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Okay, let's do it again. Ezra 8, 22b, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Okay, let's do without looking. Ezra eight twenty two b The hand of our God is for good on all those who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all those who forsake him. Okay, you may be seated. May we be found in the lot that, that seek the Lord God. This sermon may be one of the hardest We've had to study and especially apply in the book of Ezra. Some of you who are walking with God closely and fighting sin tooth and nail, not with your own teeth, and not with your own strength, with your own nails, but with the Lion of Judah, Jesus is Christ, His Word, His teeth, and with the nails of the cross. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. Like If, you, if you're walking with Jesus today, Awesome! It's great. You might think, well, this message is really not for me. It is for you. In fact, you might be the first one to respond today. This is what Ezra did. Look what it says in verse 1 of Ezra 10. When Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. Now, as far as we know, Ezra was not culpable in this sin. He didn't marry a foreign wife, and he was the first one to weep and make confession on behalf of others. And then Ezra's repentance on behalf of his people, it was contagious. Rather than trying to whip the people into some type of repentance. I know that some of you have been praying for Revival. But I would remind you, the goal is not to pray for revival. The goal goal is to actually pursue God. And the God of revival, if he so chooses, will, will set about revival in this place. Maybe, just maybe, one or two of you who have kept yourself pure will be the spark of a holy fire and repentance before the Lord. So many of us, when we discover other people's sins, just think, well, hey, I'm glad it wasn't me, you know, right? That's not Ezra. That's not the heart of Ezra. And that's not the heart of Jesus. When, when Ezra and when Jesus discovered other people's sins, they wept over the people. They cared for them, like, God, you got to do something about this. We got to change. That's true Love. Jesus didn't let others wallow in their sin. Instead, he wept bitterly over our sin. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? And then he came and he rescued us. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. Think about Jesus, how he's described in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, and you can even make that personal, my sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus is the only perfect one. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some of us are so lost in our sin that we need somebody else to come and stand in the gap and to pray for us. This is what we're trying to do at our prayer encounters on Wednesday nights. I so encourage you to come out. In fact, I think I might just need to pause the sermon right now because... One or two of you are sensing the Holy Spirit is asking you to take the mantle of Ezra and, and more importantly, Jesus and, and pray for us as a community. Uh, please, please pray for us. Pray this prayer. Lord, we have broken faith by. Please forgive us. Is there just a couple of you that would feel that the Holy Spirit is telling you to fill in that blank? Uh, Lord, we have broken faith by. Is there anybody? Mm. Yes, Lord. Lord. Hmm. Please forgive us, Lord. Anybody else? Lord, we have broken faith by loving comforts and luxuries and things that the world offers, that you characterize as a lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and a personal private life. Please forgive us, Lord. Yes. Anybody else? Mm. Us. Mm. yes, Lord. We should be comforting those rather than mocking them. Anybody else? Mhm. Please forgive us. Mm. Mm. Lord, um, I sense there's a, a, deep, a deeper thing that's going on in our hearts and minds, and you've heard the cries of these, these intercessors. And so, Lord, we have broken faith, and we ask that you would show your great mercy, your great uh, grace to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue on in Ezra 10, I'm a little hesitant to do this, but... I want to teach us how to confess one's sin without you thinking that it's a formula. Because you can't just treat God like a formula. If you do this, then he'll do that for you. But I think that this might be helpful because a lot of us don't know how to actually confess our sins. So all you people who like math, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to call it Renewal Math. M-A-T-H. Some of you have heard of the new math. Or the new ways to do mathematics? Well, this math is actually old, but we're going to resurrect it. We're going to use it again. Renewal math actually begins with the prayers we read in Ezra 9. See, what happened was, the people started worshiping God. They were making sacrifices, in, and we read about this in Ezra chapter 9, verse 5, and then they start realizing that they've done wrong. Whenever you get into the manifest holy presence of God, when there's, there's just this downpour of the Spirit, you start to realize that we, have, we worship a worthy God and that we are so needy. And so in this case, we find that what happens in, in Ezra chapter 10, that after worshiping God, it led to Mourning. And so renewal math is this, mourning over our sin, acknowledging breaking faith with God, trembling anew at God's word, and hastily obeying. To simplify, mourn over and acknowledge your sin, tremble at God's word, and hastily obey. So where are you in the renewal process? Are you at the mourn stage? The acknowledgement stage, the trembling stage, or the obeying stage? I, I dare say that most of us are at the morning stage. We haven't quite got there. We, we haven't felt the depth of our sin, the sin beneath the sin, our heart problems, our motivations, our affections which really drive our actions. That's the first step. Maybe this afternoon, as beautiful as it is, you got to ask the Lord, Lord, would you grip my heart? Help me to mourn over sin. Now, I don't want you just to stay in despair. That's not, that's not the goal here. You have to acknowledge that sin. Chuck and I did this for the Jews in Ezra 10, verses 2 through 4. Look what he does. It says, we have broken faith with our God, have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there's hope for Israel in spite of this. Notice the hope, I love that. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord, which most interpreters say that's to Ezra himself, and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we, were, we are with you. Be strong and do it. I love it. Notice the hope. You may be feeling so overwhelmed by your sin. i tell you, there's hope because grace is greater than our sin. The cross of Jesus Christ is more powerful than all the evil and all the sin combined in this universe. What we need to do is acknowledge our breaking faith with God. And notice this goes beyond just a general confession. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I mean... We try that, right? It's got to be specific. What's so much better than just feeling bad that we're caught in our sin is to actually ask God, how to make you feel when I sinned against you? That's going to go to the next level, isn't it? Shekinah came to the conclusion that his sin and his people's sin was infidelity. Twice the words broken faith are used in this passage. Verse 2 it says, we have broken faith with our God. Then jump down to verse 10. And Ezra agrees with them and stood up and said to them, you have broken faith. Have you cheated on God this week? This year? This lifetime? Have you been unfaithful? He made a covenant with you. You've tried to find your satisfaction and joy in other things or people? Have you broken faith with God? There's hope. There's hope today. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Remember, we are on mission with Jesus to turn broken people into whole people and multiply Christ followers. If you've broken faith, you're welcome here, but we don't want you just to stay broken. We want Jesus' grace to be applied to your life. To move towards wholeness. To move towards trembling at the commands of our God. That's the T in renewal math. And that's going to quickly lead to hasty obedience with God. We can be like the Jews. They knew they had to renew the covenant with God in great haste. Only by this separation could the people atone for their sins. Look at verse 9. And the people, all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. And it was the ninth month and the 20th day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. I think we can relate to this, right? This spring, it's been pretty cold and wet. They trembled. Not just because they were cold, but they trembled at God's word. When was the last time you trembled at God's word? You're like, whoa, I'm undone. Like, this is what it says. This is what I must do. Ezra gets really specific with what they had to do in these verses. Look at 10 and 11. You have broken faith, Ezra says, and married four women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Like, there have been a lot of sin before this. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples in the land and from the foreign wives. This was a call to holiness, to be separate, to be devoted to God. Now, of course, we're not to divorce our foreign wives today because the Word of God has taught us more specifically. We call that progressive revelation. Progressive revelation stopped when the canon, meaning the last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation, was written. But as Dr. David Barker teaches at Heritage Seminary down the street, when we read the Old Testament law, and some of us think that it has nothing to do with us, we need to be able to apply it. And we should at very least ask, what's the spirit of the law? What's the principle behind this? And in this case, the spirit of the law is purity. It's purity. 1 Corinthians 7 instructs us what we are to do if we have married unbelievers and unbelievers. I know some in this room are carrying that, that trial, that challenge. Here's what we read in 1 Corinthians seven thirteen through 15. You can check this out for yourself, 1 Corinthians seven thirteen through 15. We are to stick with unbelievers as long as they will stick with us. This is a grace to both you and them. Your beloved unbelieving spouse may come to faith in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about this. If we can win them even without words. And it, it's a grace to you if, you're, if you are married to an unbeliever because you get to understand more deeply how Christ loved you when you didn't know Jesus. How others can be loved And are loved by Jesus when they don't know him. In Ezra 10, the law is very clear. Foreign women were married contrary to the law of God. And the marriages were illegal from the outset. Now we need to go back to Exodus chapter 34, 11 through 16. This is what we read. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive you drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Do you notice anything about those same names back that are listed here, and then hundreds of years later, they're listed again? Do you see that the Israelites didn't do the job the first time? Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, Alkanah. God, like God's a jealous God. That's a good thing. He's jealous for your affections. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice and you take of their daughters for their sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. That helps, doesn't it, to understand the backward drop and original command. Otherwise, the divorce will sound unjustifiably cruel. Why should the wives and especially the innocent children be punished? Well, one scholar reminds us we must remember that the religious influence of the mothers of the and their children was regarded as the stumbling block. Parents, and especially moms, you have a great influence on your kids' spirituality. Have you not found that to be true? How many people were led to the Lord by their mom? Okay. I mean, think about it. Think about how maybe you're at church today because your mom brought you. This past week um, was the NBA draft. And the number one draft in the NBA was Zion Williamson. And after he brought, was on, went up on the stage, they had an interview, uh, and, and he, he immediately talked about his mom. He talked about his mom, who was his coach at one time. But not just his coach, had actually taught him about God. And so this Christian man, he's crying, and he's like, he's giving credit to his mom, but Also to God. I was like, wow, on this national stage. Moms, you have an amazing, a massive influence on your children for good or bad. And so, mothers who were whoring after other gods had to be released. Furthermore, we read in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Well, I'll turn there. Look at Malachi chapter um, 2, okay? Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And Malachi was a prophet shortly after this time. And sad to say, we haven't seen that everything has changed. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. If you need to look that up in your table of contents, Google it, Malachi. And this will bring more insight It's what really happened. Malachi, chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all but one father? Has not God created us? By the way, there's an allusion to God as father in the Old Testament. Some say the Trinity is not exposed in the Old Testament. It is. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. It's like, okay, what's happened? For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. It sounds like some had only gone to the MA in the renewal math. They'd only mourned and acknowledged their sin. They didn't actually tremble at God's word and hastily obeyed. Look at verse 14. But you say, why does he not? because the lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union and what was the one god seeking listen to this godly offspring godly offspring so guard yourselves. That's one of the purposes of marriage. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates and divorces is the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So like today, these divorces led to more domestic abuse. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I got to tell you right straight up. God's got to be number 1 in your life. No one else. Not another relationship. One scholar says this, there had been a scandalous number of Jewish wives abandoned in favor of heathen women. Sadly, we're not told what was done for the victims of the divorce. Sometimes when one person takes a stand, though I do know this, when you take a stand for Jesus, it causes everybody else to say, am I going to follow that person or not? Right? And when all of a sudden these dads took a stand for the Lord God, even if these families were released, it makes me wonder, maybe some of those children later on said, I want to follow dad. We don't know that from the text. Maybe they converted to Jerusalem and they said, I'm going to go dad's way. We do know that Gentiles could convert to Judaism because we know that Jews were trying to convert them in Jesus' day. The problem is, is when, when, when Jews and actually Christians go into an environment and they're influenced negatively and away from God, rather towards God, that's very dangerous. And again, this is about purity. I'm only speculating what happened to the children, but I do know this. God is gracious. His arm is not too short to save. And God wants us to remain pure. Do what is right, and let God worry about the results. That purity is what drove the Jews to confess and repent of their sins. What we're calling renewal math. Look at verse 14. But you say, What does he not? Or actually, I'm back in still Malachi. Hold on a second. Verse 14. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Here's this identificational repentance. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come in appointed times and with them the elders and judges of every city until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Wow. Wow. The returned exiles, they actually bore fruit with keeping with repentance. And Did what we nowadays call conscious Uncoupling. Or unspouse the house. Books like Conscious and Coupling by Catherine Wood Thomas describe the pattern for those on the other side of divorce, saying, find emotional freedom. Number one. Two, reclaim your power in your life. Three, break the pat- pattern and healing from your heart. Four, become a love alchemist by making new agreements for yourself. And fifth, create your ever- happy <laughs> ever after. I, do, I said that very quickly because I don't want you to write them down. They're not true. many people who are following this post-divorce therapy are misguided. And why? Because the systematization of divorce has nothing to do with Jesus. It's all about you. You can't find your emotional freedom, power, healing, renewed commitment, and you're heavily out there after except through Jesus Christ. And I want to make this very clear. We are against divorce here at temple. God hates divorce. And yet, divorce can be forgiven and restoration can occur. There's grace. For divorce is not the unforgivable sin. If you find yourself in have ended a marriage, there's grace. Now there'll be some, there's some in the Christian community who are harsh. It grieves me to no end to read verse 15. I hate this. Look what it says. Only Jonathan. Like, couldn't it be some other guy's name, right? <laughs> but it says, only Jonathan, like only, the son of Ashel, the son of Jassiah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshulam and Shabbathe, the Levites, supported them. So he kind of, Jonathan leads more people astray. Come on. Just doesn't want to get with the program. And maybe this Jonathan, yikes, is causing the problem that we read in Malachi that we read earlier. I learned in ministry that there's always opposing opinions about divorce and remarriage, and it can become divisive. This is why it's so important to have stated convictions based on the scripture before having to deal with a messy and emotional situation. I hope that my views on divorce and remarriage, which haven't changed in 23 years of ministry, have enough room and grace, but also convicting enough to stay true to the scriptures. Well, the section of chapter 10 ends with an assessment. Verse 16 and 17 record, then the returned exiles did so. Ezra, the pre selected men's heads of the father's houses according to their father's houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the 10th month, they sat down to examine the matter, and by the first day of the first month they came, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. Notice it took three months to go through this process. Derek Kidner says, It wasn't just about wanting to be slow and going through this process carefully, but it was also because this shows how far the problem had spread throughout the nation. And isn't this true for us as well? The trouble of breaking faith with God is so rampant in our nation. How can we sing God keep our land when we haven't kept faith in him? Friends, may the Holy Spirit bring us to repentance and divine grace and mercy in our time of great need. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come forward and we're gonna sing a song that really casts a big vision of who Jesus is. And I'm hoping that in that vision of who Jesus is, that's where you will feel and sense the Holy Spirit telling you what to do. Some of you maybe need to finally weep bitterly before the Lord. You have never done that. You've never confessed your sins. You've never got right with the Lord. Today, it's going to be the day of salvation. For others of you, you've been carrying this sin. You need to come forward. You need to, you need to cry out to God. There's spaces here for you to kneel just like they kneeled back in Ezra's day. Others of you, maybe they need to come forward because you're the intercessor. You're the one or two person who's going to be the one who turns on the faucet, turns on the faucet, the Holy Spirit's blessing in a new and profound way. We're gonna sing picture of Jesus, the one with white, hair like wool with fiery eyes with a sash written around, uh, around his, his chest. He's such a holy God and yet he loves you. He cares for you. and He's offering us grace today. Let's pray. Oh God, let us capture a vision of your son Jesus and out of that we will be undone and in our undoing You will fix us once again by applying the grace that only you can give. Do it, Lord. Do it quickly, please. We need this today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.